3: This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market, support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22 or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in store and online at arnott's.ie Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can
0: depend on. See SertaIreland.ie Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. Listener discretion is advised. Paul Snyder could have had a wonderful life, living in Hollywood, married to playboy playmate Dorothy Stratton. Instead, his overprotective and jealous nature pushed her into the arms of another man, and when they separated, he couldn't handle it. If he couldn't have her, nobody would. This is Monsters. Paul Snyder grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia's East End, which was a tough part of the city. His parents split up when he was young, and he eventually quit school in the seventh grade. He ended up with a strong appetite for women and money. That's what led him to pimping. It made him the type of money he was looking for, and he used that money to buy flashy cars, mink furs, and a diamond star of David he wore around his neck. This gave him the title of the Jewish Pimp. Paul was adamant about not getting into the drug trade and the tougher gangs around town didn't seem to like him very much. He eventually lost a bunch of money to some local bookies and they hung him by his ankles from the 30th floor of a hotel. It was time for Paul to get out of town, fast. He headed to Los Angeles and started pimping girls out of a gold limousine. He had these grand illusions of becoming a star directing or producing movies, and he tried his hardest to weasel himself into powerful circles, but he was never successful. Paul's pimping business wasn't going over very well either. One of his girls stole some items which ended up costing him a lot of money. He quit the pimping game and headed back to Vancouver. This is when 26-year-old Paul Snyder met 17-year-old Dorothy Hoogstraten working at a Dairy Queen. Dorothy was born on February 28, 1960, to Simon and Nellie Hoogstraten, who had emigrated to Canada from the Netherlands. She had a brother, John, and a sister, Louise.
1: uh, You're from Vancouver, Uh I imagine. Well, Now, what did you do in Vancouver? Were you a professional model at all before?
2: No, I just graduated from high school when uh, I was approached by Playboy, and I was working in a telephone company. I was a clerk typist.
1: You're putting me on.
2: No, I worked there just six weeks before they carried me away.
1: That was good. Good move. <laughs> the only good thing that ever came out of the telephone company. <laughs> Somebody said, you know, what, what's his business of, uh, what's his business of working in an ice cream stand?
2: I worked there for four years, um, yeah. part-time while I was going through high school. Right. And uh, one day this gentleman walked in with this gorgeous blonde that's long fur coat, and right. I had him sitting and um, waiting on him at the Dairy Queen, two little pigtails and a little red smock on, and I said, can I help you? And he says, what's your name? Good. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it happened from there.
1: Just, it's like something you would uh, hear in a movie, right? Yeah. And said...
0: Paul was experienced at wooing young girls, and Dorothy was an easy target. Since her father abandoned the family when she was young, she craved attention from older men. Her mother also struggled financially, so she never had nice things growing up. Paul bought her clothes, jewelry, and showered her with attention. Dorothy had only had one boyfriend before and didn't really think of herself as a beauty. She felt awkward and thought that she had big hands. Paul slowly opened up her mind to her beauty and made her insecurities go away with compliment after compliment. What she didn't know was that this was all part of her new boyfriend's plan. He had tried to get a few other girls accepted as Playboy Playmates, but was never successful. He was sure that Dorothy would be his ticket to fame and fortune. Paul took Dorothy to a German photographer named Huey Meyer and had a professional photo shoot done. When Dorothy saw how good she looked in the photos, Paul convinced her to do another shoot in the nude. Meyer recalls that Dorothy was nervous at first, but eventually let the playfulness take over and completed the photo shoot. This was only a test run, though, as Paul wanted Dorothy to do a photo shoot with a photographer named Ken Honey, who had connections to Playboy. Honey would not do the photo shoot unless Dorothy got a parental signature on the release, since she was underage. Dorothy reluctantly spoke to her mother and got her signature. Honey did the photo shoot and sent the pictures to Playboy. It never ceases to amaze me how different things have become in my lifetime. Today, if a teenager takes a naked selfie and texts it to someone else, they can be arrested for distribution of child pornography. In the late 70s, eh, as long as your mom says it's okay. In August of 1978, six months after her 18th birthday, Dorothy was flown to Los Angeles to do a test shoot for Playboy. She had never been on a plane before or even left Canada. Her test shots were great, and she was in the running to be named Playboy's 25th Anniversary Playmate. She didn't win that title, but she was named Playmate of the Month for August of 1979. Paul immediately flew to Los Angeles and proposed to Dorothy, who was now going by Dorothy Stratton. Paul was under the impression that Dorothy would be providing for both of them, and getting married would seal the deal on his newfound meal ticket. For the time being, they moved into an apartment in West Hollywood, and Dorothy was put to work as a bunny at the Century City Playboy Club. Paul controlled every aspect of Dorothy's life. According to a 1980 article in the Village Voice, he controlled her finances and real estate and even determined who she would sleep with to further her career. Playboy got Dorothy in touch with David Wilder, who immediately got her roles in various movies. First, it was a few bit parts in movies and television shows. She played the girl at the snack bar in the 1978 movie Skate Town, USA. She also appeared in an episode of the television show Fantasy Island the same year. She quickly filled her schedule with modeling and acting jobs. Paul used this time to make some money of his own, though not quite as glamorous. He did some promoting, organized a wet t-shirt contest, and a male strip show at a local disco. His sights were set on Dorothy being his real ticket to fame and fortune, and he dreamed of her success making it possible for them to move into a big house in Bel Air, you know, where the big producers and directors lived. He continued pressuring her to marry him, and even though her friends all warned her against it, the two were married in Las Vegas, June 1st, 1979. Since Playboy wanted to keep the marriage secret, who wants to see a married Playboy playmate? Dorothy was sent on a Canadian tour without Paul shortly after the marriage. She then stayed in Canada to star in a feature film. She played Galaxina, the lead role in a low-budget science fiction movie of the same name. Soon after, Hugh Hefner announced Dorothy Stratton as 1980's Playmate of the Year. Her world was getting bigger and brighter, and Paul could sense her pulling away. The two argued about her finances and her career. Paul wanted to control all the money and to choose which projects she accepted. She was firm on letting her agent and manager take care of those things. He was pushing her to buy a house, but she resisted because she felt he was just trying to tie her down more and keep her under his control. When Dorothy was offered a feature role in the movie They All Laughed, which was being filmed in New York, she saw it as an opportunity to get a break from Paul. He wanted to come with her and be on the set during filming, but she said no. She said he would just be in the way, and the set was closed to outsiders. Outsiders. I wonder if being considered an outsider by his own wife affected his psyche more than we realize. This left Dorothy time away from Paul's overbearing demeanor and gave her time to be her own woman. It also gave her time to start having an affair with Peter Bogdanovich, the movie's director. They spent months on the set pretending to have a professional relationship before other cast and crew realized they were dating. Even then, they kept their time on set professional. During a break on set, Dorothy came back to Los Angeles, attended a Playmate of the Year event, and was a guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson.
1: You received, it used to be in the early days, I remember the gals would get uh, a few little prizes, but this year you got uh, quite a bunch of things, right?
2: I got a $65,000 uh, Russian sable fur coat, and a $25,000 check, and a $26,000 Jaguar, and uh, and a $13,000 bathtub, and...
1: <laughs> what, what? What was a $13,000 bathtub? I mean...
2: It's made of brass, it was handmade, and it has uh, four jacuzzi jets on the inside. It fits about ten people. Oh, lovely.
1: (laughs) What are we going to tell the other eight?
0: (laughs) She then left for a Canadian tour. Paul knew that his golden paycheck was slipping away. When she was in New York, it became increasingly harder to get a hold of her. She stopped telling him she loved him and eventually stopped taking his calls altogether. Paul hired a private investigator to look into a suspected affair between Dorothy and Bogdanovich, but the investigation never seemed to go anywhere. After going back to New York to finish shooting the movie, Dorothy sent a letter to her husband that stated that they were officially separated, physically and financially. He tried to recreate his meal ticket by grooming a new Dorothy Stratton, but Playboy wanted nothing to do with him. He also tried to profit off of making posters from a previous photo shoot Dorothy had done, but she wouldn't let him. He was out of options. By this time, Dorothy and Bogdanovich were living together in his house in Bel Air, you know, where the big producers and directors lived. Dorothy was fielding movie and television offers and enjoying her success. Paul, on the other hand, was putting into motion a plan to change his and Dorothy's lives forever. Since Paul was not an American citizen, he wasn't allowed to purchase a firearm at a local gun retailer. He had asked the private investigator that he had hired to get him a machine gun, claiming that it was for home protection, but the man refused. Paul then purchased a shotgun from an ad in the classifieds. A decade earlier, Claudia Jennings was named 1970's Playmate of the Year. Like Dorothy, she had gone on to become an actress and had built quite an impressive resume through the 1970s. Unfortunately, Claudia had died in a car accident that past October, and while visiting with a photographer who had taken some pictures of Paul's Dorothy lookalikes, he brought up the tragic accident. He stated, quote, Some playmates get killed, and when it happens, it causes a lot of chaos, end quote. The photographer disregarded these comments because otherwise Paul seemed like he was in a good mood. The next day, August 14th, 1980, Dorothy and Paul had set a time to meet to discuss a divorce settlement. She spent the morning with her business manager discussing the amount of the settlement they were going to offer. Her manager made the suggestion that she have her lawyer drop off this paperwork so that she didn't have to see Paul. Of course, Dorothy said no she was under the impression that her and Paul were going to separate amicably. She was still young and naive and wanted to see the good in everybody. Dorothy showed up at Paul's rented home in West Hollywood at around noon. It was the house that the couple had shared before the separation, but now her soon-to-be ex-husband was living there with roommates. Those roommates had left that morning, so the couple were alone in the house. Dorothy gave Paul an offer of $7,500 total, She claimed that that was half of her current worth, after taxes. Paul was under the impression that Dorothy was going to take care of him for the rest of his life. $7,500 wasn't going to do that, and he had no intentions of going back to Vancouver to be a nobody. It's not clear what happened in the house, but at some point, both Dorothy and Paul ended up in his bedroom. It's believed that the jilted husband raped Dorothy and then shot her in the face with a 12-gauge shotgun. He then turned the gun on himself. Dorothy Stratton was only 20 years old. It wasn't until 11pm that Paul's roommates finally went to check his bedroom. Even after the roommates came home, Paul's door was shut and they assumed he wanted some privacy, which was common for him. When they broke in the door, they found the naked bodies of both Paul Snyder and Dorothy Stratton. The police found her purse in the living room, and inside they found a note written by Snyder begging Dorothy for support. Also inside her purse was $1,100 in cash, which was meant to be a deposit on the settlement she offered. Paul Snyder was 29 years old when he raped and murdered Dorothy Stratton. He died having never become anything more than a common swindler who couldn't handle his wife becoming more famous than he was.
1: You know, I guess I'll go home. We got to do it again soon. Richard. Dorothy.
2: Do you really like me?
1: I'm crazy about you.
2: You know, I thought this whole thing was a big joke.
1: No, I just think you're marvelous.
2: I think you're neat.
1: Oh. Ah. Well, you wanted a happy ending, didn't you?
0: Dorothy. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233, or go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will instantly take your browser to a Google search page. In the event the abuser is nearby, you can assure that you don't get caught trying to get help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Be safe. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, you can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, you can find information on how to do that at thisismonsters.com forward slash support. Thanks again.
3: Life's full of things we can't depend on Like the Irish weather Predictably unpredictable When you're cutting it fine But the tractor in front is out for the day No winner of this week's You know what So much for Lucky 7 But some things you can depend on Like in home heating Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home Now and into the future For home heating you can depend on See CertaIreland.ie.